Welcome to another episode of House to House. You already know who it is. It is your boy, Kyler. Across me, as always, the guy who picked a pack of pickled peppers, Peter. Hello. And welcoming a new host on the podcast, the CEO of Mortgage Master, the big bad boss, David Bay. Welcome, man, to our podcast studio. Well, Temporary podcast studio uh. I mean, cause COVID has us locked out of our usual recording room Being the new addition What is the one thing that you hope listeners can take away from house to house? Well, I believe, um, you know The financial aspect of getting a house is the most important So I hope all listeners understand that they have to manage their finances Before they start searching for the house they want Wonderful Alright, also, I just want to welcome Peter back because, you know, it's been slightly over a month since we recorded anything together because of the busy schedules on the BTO side. So, I just want to ask you, is being in front of a mic a new feeling again or, you know, are you comfortably getting back into that mood? What mood? We just started recording. I mean, this is a mic. Alright, okay. Alright, let's go into today's topic. So, you know, recently there's a lot of news articles reporting that property prices have kept increasing, you know, that like for example it's like the fourth street quarter that resale prices are going up like two three four percent from the previous quarter so for me who is more uninitiated i always thought that this is odd because you know we are in a pandemic and we are crawling ourselves out of a recession but why is it that people are selling their houses and more importantly why are buyers willing to pay higher prices um, for a house so that's why i'm trying to understand and today, David and Peter will give us their insights on it. Actually, I wanted to give like a cute nickname for the both of you. You know, I have to keep addressing like David and Peter, Peter and David. So I did think of combining your surname, which is Bay, with Peter's name to form Beta. But then oh, I realized that we can never say our company's name and Beta together. So uh, whatever. <laughs> Alright, first question, straight up. Why are property prices increasing in a pandemic? Is it due to one factor or many factors? Well, it's due to many, many factors. Um, There are technical factors, which I can, of course, explain in more detail later. There's also um, very simple, logical, laymentum factors, which I believe uh, I will then share earlier before we go into the technical parts of stuff. Okay, so you said that there were many factors. In your opinion, what is the one or rather the biggest factor that will impact property prices the most? Okay, so let's talk about the easy factors first. Um, Prices in every good sold in a capital market is always determined by supply and demand. Mm. So obviously, with prices increasing, we do know that the supply is less than the demand. So why is the demand more during, as you mentioned, a recession? Yeah. Okay, so first answer is, is the recession really here yet? Okay. Okay. Um, A technical way of defining a recession is that they need to have consecutively a few quarters of negative growth. Well, we did have that two quarters of negative growth, but then in the third quarter, we had a very strong growth in Singapore, in the the global markets as well. And so is this really a technical recession or a real recession where it's like one, two years of great turmoil? So I believe that the real recession isn't here yet. I don't want to be the naysayer and say that it's going to come soon, but that's just my opinion, right? Mm. Um, so obviously with the recession being uh, on around the corner, why are property prices increasing? Because 
Very simply put, if you have no place to put your investments, everybody has allocated some funds in their life for investment purposes. Yeah. Um, those funds, if you have no place to put it, traditionally, you don't buy stocks and shares during a recession or during a time of uncertainty in the stock market. You will put it in maybe the USD, gold, bonds. We call that safe havens. Okay. In Singapore, the safe haven isn't USD gold bonds. The safe haven is brick and mortar. Mm. And that's why the demand is so high. And based on, you know, we are from Mortgage Master, we see loans being done every day. Um, the loans, we can see that they are actually done. The loans are by young people who can qualify for the loans without having the savings to down pay the house. But they are being funded by their parents who have taken their money out from the stock market and are investing in their children's homes. And that's why the demand constantly uh, maintains its strength. And the supply, where there's a lack of supply, um, that's where the prices continue to increase. Right. Okay. So what you're saying is that because in a pandemic, uh, parents can sort of fund their children's desires for a dream house more. Is that what you're saying? Well, parents have dreams too. Mm -hmm. The parents' dream is to make their children happy. Right. So they fund their children's dream. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that, like, that is one of the explanations as to why demand is increasing in this limited supply. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the many. Right. Okay, okay. Then what about the more technical reasons? Okay, so when we talk about supply, firstly, what increases supply mm. is when a recession pandemic happens and people can't afford to keep up with their normal payments, uh, their normal mortgage payments. Mm. Um, now, if you have a million dollar condominium, which is probably can stay husband, wife, and kid, all right? A yeah. family of three. Mm. Uh, the, the monthly installments will not be, uh, will be around $3,000 only. And if the husband and wife both earn more than 5000 that's about 1000 cash every month. Yeah. And when you earn more than 5000 that's 10 k minus 1K cash. The rest is paid by CPF. It's definitely well affordable. Yeah. Okay? So those who are hit is when they lose their jobs. Okay, that one, my heart goes out to them. Uh, they probably have to sell and then downgrade to a HGB. That's why HGB demand will still be higher. Then that's where the supply will increase. Now, that is actually not the most supply creation place. The place where supply can be create, will be created the most during a recession is investment property owners. So, over the past three, four years, the rental yield in Singapore has dropped tremendously. Okay. All right. Um, those, that's another conversation for another day again, but... So, for example, a $1.2 million condominium in Bishan used to fetch maybe up to even 4500 per month in, in, in rent. Uh. In rent. Mm. Today, 3002 mm. wow. So, you take the difference, $1,000 difference is 25-30% yeah. drop, right? So, you see, to get that $1.2 million condo, mm. I need to take at least a $950,000 loan. Mm. That's 3000 plus a month. So, now, if I have 3000 plus a month coming in, and then from the rental and going out through the mortgage, mm. I do not suffer a loss, but I still got to pay conservancy, property tax. I have to pay tax on the rental income. So that is already a very utopic situation today. Okay. Now, what happens if rental you drops even more? Literally, they're 3002 desperate. Somebody just rented there at 2008. Then that's how valuation increases and decreases as well, right? People are not willing to pay so high, therefore things drop. People mm. are willing to pay higher, things increase. So that's when the guy makes a loss every month. Cash flow has a problem. Yeah. Now, this is not a need-based product now. It is for investment. It's not for his family to stay in. There's no make or break, right? Yeah. The guy will start selling. So what has what is the technical thing that has prevented this from happening? 
Now, when the pandemic happened, when we had Circuit Breaker last year, the government actually introduced and all banks agreed to sign on with that, something called deferment of mortgage payments. Mm. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that you defer... Okay, let's say your mortgage payment is uh, 1000 a month, okay? It doesn't mean you defer six months. Uh, on the seventh month, you have to pay me all the 6000 and then plus the next month, so 7k on this. No, it does not mean that way. It actually means that you really don't have to pay for six months down the road, no? Yep. And so from April to January uh, to December 31st, uh, people didn't just need to apply 100% approval. You don't have to pay for your mortgage payments. Yet, the rental property, the yield I still take in, it's free open cash flow. Mm. Even if I was desperate and I needed to sell, I will sell later, uh. Because now I got free money coming in every month and I don't have any outflow of money. Yeah, so it's just free income for six months in that yeah. way. Okay. Then after that, this year, the government say up to 60% can be deferred. Mm. Well, I will still take it, right? Yeah. So as long as these people who have investment properties do not need to, f- who are hurt already, have cash flow problem- problems, do not need to sell, the market will continue to maintain. It's only when these people start hurting. Mm. So this is kind of why it's more and more delayed because throughout Singapore's, at least my working life and my, my knowledge of history in the banks, right, yeah. is the first time mortgage deferments happen. It didn't happen in 97. I mean, my parents didn't tell me about it. It didn't happen in SARS in 01. It didn't happen in 07, 08. It only happened this time. And that's why people can hold for a while longer. And if you hold for a while longer, the supply doesn't increase. Property prices continue to increase until these people can't hold out anymore and start selling. Yeah, so... I mean, that's great insight. And, and I think here at Mortgage Master, we've heard that several times. And it's, it's really quite uh, impressive how it's held over the past six months. As in, you had this, these ideas like, like six months ago, you shared them with us. And it's still true to this day. Like, like the, the deferment, the mortgage deferment, the, yeah, it's all, it's all really made a difference in how people are, well, not everyone, but, but enough people have more money to to defer their decision-making process. But it has to end sometime, right? Well, there are two opinions in the market right now. Um, I believe patterns exist. History Mm. tends to repeat itself. It's just whether it takes a while longer or takes a lot lesser time, it will repeat itself. But of course, in this day, the economy is flush with cash. The first time QE1, QE2 happened in 07, 08, 09, and then now there is more printing of money. The cost of funds are really low. The market has so much cash flow. And that's why it delays, right? Um, but the other, the other train of thought is, okay, so I believe history repeats itself. The crash will come. But there's another train of thought, which again, I will not say it may not come true. Property prices may continue to increase with no end in sight, which will accelerate Singapore to Hong Kong levels of property prices and problems Um a lot faster. Now, if that continues to happen in another six months, the cooling measures will definitely come in. Whether the cooling measures come in by our government today is a question mark. Debatable. I believe they should come in, but they should affect second property owners um, more than first-time property buyers. But if they continue to increase at this uh, unprecedented, this super crazy rate, then cooling measures must be implemented even more harshly. So I don't know what's going to happen, whether it will continue to increase or not. My opinion is that the drop will come because history repeats itself. Um, the difference between me talking to you today and a housing agent talking to you today is that I'm not a housing agent. I don't care 
whether you buy on the house or not. But the housing agent may just tell you the second opinion and not the first. I tell you both sides of the coin. Because, you know, if you don't think the prices are increasing, you will not buy today. Wow, yikes. Means COVID really is that bad. Uh. Actually, but how was it during those times? Like, you mentioned the Asian financial crisis, SARS, the 08 recession. During those times, did uh, property prices also increase then? Or was there any common trend in the recessions? Well, so interestingly enough, um, I just did some research with Peter, our pick a pack of pick a pack. <laughs> I just did some research with Peter just yesterday, and and in that research, we actually found a very a very interesting trend, and the trend is that in the ninety seven ninety eight financial Asian financial crisis, mm. in the oh six to oh eight global financial crisis, a subprime crisis, what happened in Singapore is that when the market start to drop property prices actually increase. Only three quarters or one and a half years, that means between nine months to 18 months later, then Singapore property takes a nosedive. So if you compare two graphs, um, global global recession, global economy graph, and then you overlay the property price index of Singapore, mm. actually property price index is a laggard. It takes about nine months later to even 18 months later to start dropping. Okay. Yeah, so the patterns are actually quite similar. So first, we need to see where the recession of Singapore really hits right. or in the world really hits. I mean, Bitcoin is up, uh, S&P 500, Dow Jones, or hey, up. Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs> or, or up. So, so is the recession really here? We need them to take the heat first. Then nine months later, you see property prices dropping. Right. So we are waiting for that real recession and then wait for that like a nine to 18 months. And then that is where you, that is probably, I mean, if trends were to follow, that is when property prices were to drop. Yeah, of course. Uh, again, I'm not a property expert. Mm. I'm the mortgage finance expert. We use our brains to find data statistics and we try to, to garner information from there. Right, I see, I see. Okay, so I want to ask you, David, um, you, you mentioned that because the real recession hasn't hit and that property prices are still continuing to climb. What is your take? Like, what does it mean for Singaporeans, regardless of whether you are in the private property sector or even HDBs? What does that mean for people? This actually is interesting. Um, it's not so simple to draw a broad stroke across um, I would say things which, of course, uh, in my opinion, um, may come to pass. One, I believe that HGB prices, especially for those four or five room flats, should not drop even though pro even when and if property prices take a hit because it's a very simple logic. Um, upgraders from four room will buy five room. Downgraders, because a recession is here, you may downgrade, will sell their condominiums and buy a four room or five room. So therefore, the demand for those houses will still maintain. Uh, do not please do not go and feel like you need to sell your HDBs today because you want to take advantage of the high price point. I don't think there's that great need uh, for HDB specifically. For private properties, we also have to divide the segmentations into a few different different kinds. Like um, families are normally the higher spending power, uh, people with higher spending power. They would probably at least try to get a thousand square feet private property all the way to maybe 1,800 square feet. And depending on locations, we are looking at a million, $1.2 million private condominiums all the way to maybe 2.5 million private condominiums because, you know, there's a whole spectrum of how much people earn. These properties are where normally during a recession and when the property prices drop, we'll take the hit first 
Because everybody else who buys above 2.53 mil, 4 mil, 5 mil, those are luxury goods. La. You know, your Chanel bag demand will always be there every session or not. Mm. So luxury goods maintain their price inelasticity where where then only the consumer, the ping ping, pricing, mass market people like me, those 1.5 mil condominiums, that's where I'm forced to sell mm. and that's where the prices will drop because when people are forced to sell or have fear and start selling, that's where the supply increases. Um, there's one thing which um, I feel, to me, just to me, it's a very big indication that the bubble is a bubble. Um, over the past 10 years, so I've been doing this since 2009, so it's more than it's like 12 years. Yeah. But over the past 10 years, which has seen the 08 recession the and, and everything else, right? Before even the government cooling measures, private properties very, very rarely, when you're talking about the range of 1 mil to 2 mil, have what we call cash over value. Today, cash over value exists again. And that's where you know that the demand is just a bit silly. Uh, people are willing to pay more than the property is valued. Mm. And to me, that may be an indication of the bubble. Okay, sorry, just for myself and listeners who may not know, what exactly is a cash over value? Um, as the name suggests, cash over value is cash over value law. How come you don't know? <laughs> okay, but... <laughs> But for other listeners, I mean, Kyler should have known by now. I, why, why are you doing it, yeah, Knowledge Master? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, his job is safe. Everybody, don't worry. But when you have a property, let's say you buy a million-dollar property, if it's valued at $1 million, you can get a 75% loan on the $1 million. Yeah. Uh, we are left with 25%. 5% has to be cash if it's your first property. And then 20% can be cash or CPF. So yeah. you can use a CPF to down pay. Mm. If the valuation of the property is one million, but you spend one point one million to buy it, okay, the first one million is counted with a seven hundred fifty k loan, two hundred k cash and CPF, and then fifty k cash. That's still standard. But the additional hundred k, which is overvaluation, has to be pure cash. That's cash over value. Okay, so to get to that one point one million is something that is negotiated between the buyer and seller, is it? Yes. Okay. So in normal circumstances, if my property is valued at one mil, nobody is going to buy it from me for one point one million and fifty thousand. They will be like one mil, take it or leave it. Mm. Um, however, today there are people willing to pay the extra money just to secure a house. Yes. Okay. So, so just to summarize, you're saying that the the reemergence of cash flow valuation implies that there's an increased demand, but it's also a bubble demand like it's not it's not a real demand so to speak well we are all singaporeans we don't want to pay things that are not worth it right and let's not talk just about singaporeans i guess most human beings are not like that but singaporeans being the kiasu kiasi mentality even more so um the fact that people are suddenly willing to pay something over the value of it in our very small nation state where kiasu people are around it means they have fear that the property prices are increasing and increasing and increasing too much. Mm. And then if I pay 1.1 mil today, maybe three months down the road, with 3% per month increase, the valuation actually hits 1.1. So I'm okay with that. But you see, when property prices and anything in the market, stock market increases at this huge, huge speed and velocity, that's where we have fear. Mm. I mean, we, we've seen the markets, we've seen things happen. It's always the institutions who, who get out first and then the, the mass market who suffers when the thing suddenly tanks the other direction. Of course, again, I don't want to be the naysayer, but there's a lot of fear fear in this overly buoyant market. Right. Okay. So this is 
for the short-term aspect where you think that people are, you know, starting to get a bit paranoid, starting to get a bit fear that, you know, like, oh, they just want to secure a house. They don't mind paying a bit more. What I want to ask now is, how, will this affect anything in the long term? Example, if let's say um, the property is valued at $1 million, and because you want to secure a house, you don't mind spending a bit more for that security. Let's say two, three years down the road, is there a higher chance for you to sell that house at the price that you bought it for? Even though it's valued less than what you paid for. Okay, so let's use a historical story to give an example. Sure. Um, the last the last property high in Singapore before now was in 2012-2013. A lot of people were, were afraid that prices were going to, to rise again and they're willing to pay a lot of money. Right. So I'll give you some specific exact places. Uh. Um, in people who bought anything at Pasiris area, actually other than Dines and Coco Palm, no, actually other than Coco Palm, everybody else can't even sell at the price they bought it today. Even though prices are already supposed to be higher than last time because they overpaid to the developer at that point of time. The Again, initial purchase yeah, price say, saying this right now may make me an enemy of some people, but uh, facts are facts, huh? <laughs> okay. No, so so you're saying that that it depends. It still depends on when you bought the property, la. Well, if you know that prices in the norm should be one million, mm. ten years down the road, that one million becomes one point two million. That's normal, mm. but three months down the road, that one million becomes one point one million, and you're willing to pay that one point one million. You are buying into what's not normal. So it is not just extra money in the in the market right now fueling the demand for property. I also feel, and that's where I think the bubble exists, mm. it's also fear that property prices will continue to increase that is also fueling the demand of the property market. And because that is, you know, if it's just normal market trends, it's fine. But once there's a fear inside, I think it's a bubble. But that's just me, again. So, I mean... In cases like these, do we still allow the market to, to run its course? Or, you know, should someone step in and burst that bubble, you know, before it's too late? I don't think there's a need to burst that bubble as much as in 2012, mm. where the first wave of cooling measures came into place. At that point of time, the bubble needed to be burst because it was a lot of foreign money coming into our shores to buy properties. And therefore, the first wave of cooling measures, if you look at how much it hits people, is actually um, for foreigners that have to pay the biggest additional buyer stamp duty, ABSD. And then the government wanted to take care of the Singaporeans, making them not leverage too much. So TDSR and MSR, Total Debt Servicing Ratio and Mortgage Servicing Ratio, was introduced. But that's just to avoid the subprime crisis for Singaporeans to not be over leveraged mm. and also to prevent foreign money from coming in to buy property so easily. So the foreign money still come in and the government earns more tax. Uh. That's basically it. But because of that, um, less ultra, only ultra rich buy. Right. You know, yeah. So as, as I mentioned, it's normally the country in the far north or the country in the south that that's where the foreign money comes in. And when that tapered off, that's where property prices stabilised. I mean, again, we are all in Asia. People don't want to pay things which are not worth that much and therefore, um, it tapered off a bit. It caused the property prices to stagnate for a little, a little while in 2012 to 2014. Okay. Alright, so now I want to go on to really asking you who is affected by this. So the previous question I said, like, in general, you know, um, general Singaporeans, how are they affected? But I want to ask now is, 
if you could go down to the specifics into each individual groups, because um, I, like, I've seen news articles reporting that not only the private property sector is increasing, but even HDB flats, resales are increasing. Places like, and it's not just prime HDBs like Pinnacle or, you know, like flats in mature towns, but units in Woodlands and Ishun, woo, you know, uh, also increasing in price. So should people care about this for the, I mean, for lack of a better term, the everyday man, for most families in Singapore that, Singapore that stays in HDB, should they care about this? Um, they should care to a certain extent. Well, let's put it to you in a way where I feel living in Singapore, um, you know, everybody has stuff to say about government this good, government this bad. Obviously, if you hear from most taxi drivers, uncles, they will tell you government bad, bad, bad. But obviously, <laughs> the policies have good and bad. Lah. Okay, so one of the things which I love from, from our founding father, Lee Kuan Yew's time to now, the mandate of our government is that every Singaporean should own a house themselves. And that mandate is very straightforward because HDB was created. And in your lifetime, when you start buying a house, let's say earliest 21 years old. So let's say legally you can buy a house, you buy a house at 21. The lease is 99 years. The government has taken care of you until you die. Because you, if you don't die at 120, then you are godlike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so the taking care of one person is done. Taking care of the future generations of that one person is done because they can go and buy their own HGB. But generation, generation wealth, transferring of wealth is limited. But that has to be done in Singapore. So that aside, that's a whole different policy thing that we're talking about. That aside, Kyler, you can buy a house with the salary that Mortgage Master is paying you. Hey, gee, okay. Peter has bought a house with the salary that Mortgage Master is paying him. Yeah. I started with a BTO as well. And I could afford it. And as a founder of a startup, paying myself less than Peter and Kyler when I first started, I also can get BTO. Mm. Right? So that is settled. The majority of Singaporeans are settled. It's about the majority, the people who are, okay, maybe the 10 percenters, not the 1 percenters, that wants to buy the private properties that will be affected. And you see, it's about needs and wants, right? Your needs are taken care of. Your wants, that's literally your business. That's up to you. Uh. That's up to yeah. the individual. Yeah. All right. I'll just ask you one last question right now. Genuinely curious as to this. So, in my head, right, there's always been like a tier list. It starts from like HDBs and then condos. And then you go to the atas of the atas houses where it's like bungalows, GCBs and everything. In this market where people are, like, like what you mentioned just now, where parents want to make their kids happy. And one, f- one way of that is to fund them to get their dream homes. So maybe people staying in HDBs might move up to condos. People staying in condos might go up to private properties. I want to ask, just to get a better sense of idea, is when when people upgrade, right, the sellers, where do they stay? Do they have another house? Or do they, in turn, get another transaction to upgrade or downgrade or whatever? Hmm. Okay, from the mortgage standpoint, when you sell a house and buy a house, but your buying house come earlier, um, which is the ideal situation, right? So you can get your new house first, renovate a bit, then leave your old house. Okay. So we talk about, we use the term completion dates. Okay. So selling completion is later than buying completion. 
that is one way to do it. And of course, on the mortgage front, um, there's something called bridging loans that can help that make that happen. Okay. okay you just got to pay a little bit more interest because bridging loans cost money. However, you see, when you sell a HDB to somebody to buy another house, that person who bought your HGB also sold his HGB to somebody to and and that, that cycle has to be broken somewhere. Yeah. And only fortunately sometimes there's somebody like, oh I stay with my parents, can I buy your house? No urgency, I let you stay longer. Right? Okay. Then you negotiate a bit on price. Like I let you stay two months more, lah, so you you sell me five thousand cheaper. So stuff like that happens, right? Um or there's also people who will sign this extra extended three months to HDB so that um, I can stay in my house three months longer although the house is already belonging to the other party. Right. But so this, this okay. exists. Ah, okay, okay. I see. But you, what you're saying is that the cycle will keep continuing where <laughs> sellers will keep finding new houses until normally we'll reach a case where it's resolved Nobody, on their own. Uh. Yeah, either hopefully you get somebody who doesn't have the agency or everybody's always asking like, can you leave your house earlier before I have to leave my house? <laughs> you know, so that cycle perpetuates again and again and again until one day somebody will say no lah. No mm. means no. Then you go and find some short-term lease, three months renter. Um, it's people who are willing to take that sacrifice that helps the situation because you see, if you're going to buy a 10-year-old house, a 15-year-old house, you will definitely renovate. Mm. Um, especially if it's a HGB. Mm. Uh, traditionally, even uh, people, people will renovate when they buy a new HGB. Um, so that's where probably I will rent something for six months. So I can I can let you extend three more months. You sell me cheaper. And then the next three months, I will renovate your house. Then I move out from my rented property six months down the road. Because it's very hard to find very short-term leases in Singapore. Minimally six months. Okay, I see. But these are all negotiated between yeah. both parties. Yeah. Right? I see. Okay. Alright. Peter, you got anything else to add? You good? David, you good? Yeah, I'm good. Alright. Okay. So listeners, that's it from us today. Remember, if you do have any questions, feel free to send it in to podcast at mortgagemaster.com.sg. Thanks for joining us, folks. No quirky one-liner today. Just please take care of yourselves and practice safe distancing measures. See ya! Word.